If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! In 2019, the year before the pandemic, one in three high school students reported feeling persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, up 40%, 40% from a decade prior. From 2011 to 2015, youth psychiatric visits to emergency departments for depression, anxiety, and behavioral challenges increased by 28%. Between 2007 and 2018, suicide rates among youth age 10 to 24, increased by 57%, a total of 65,026 young people lost. As devastating as these numbers are, the real tragedy is that we are failing as a country to adequately respond to them. Even before the pandemic, we were not doing enough to provide adequate care and treatment options in every community. And COVID-19 has only made that disparity worse. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and that is the voice of U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy, testifying before the Senate Finance Committee in February 2022 about the child and youth mental health crisis faced by our nation. Dr. Murthy sounded the alarm on this issue in a big way in December 2021 in a Surgeon General's advisory entitled Protecting Youth Mental Health. In it, he outlines the issues, the impact, the influences, and the steps needed to improve the mental health of this and future generations. It's a crisis we've heard a lot about in the news during May. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, after all. And it affects children, youth, and families everywhere, including the communities served by Nemours. To get a Nemours perspective on the issue, we talk with Nemours associate and pediatric psychologist, Dr. Danica Perry. Dr. Perry is the Behavioral Health Program Director of School-Based Wellness Centers in the elementary schools of the Colonial School District in Newcastle, Delaware. It's a position she took in March 2022 after having worked in integrated primary care right here at Nemours. So how does a behavioral health professional working in the field each day view the child and mental health crisis? Here's Dr. Danica Perry. I would say we're right now in a state of what I like to describe as a bit of a combination of resilience and fragility, brokenness, and in the process of restoration and in crisis, as well as an openness to health and wellness. Mental health is health. Without mental health, there is no health. What we have seen, I think, is a greater willingness to acknowledge the value and importance in addressing mental health and the urgency and the importance of being able to provide preventative behavioral health services to our youth. The ideas of discrimination and stigma for seeking mental health care Have we gotten through some of that, or is that still an issue, a barrier that people face? I think it's definitely an existing barrier. 
that individuals may face for a myriad of reasons. Some families have had engagement with behavioral health services or social services and have had unhelpful or harmful experiences and as a result are very apprehensive or concerned about seeking services again within their local community. If that's not a common practice, if it's more of a practice to pray this situation away or to just not talk about our dirty laundry or what goes on here stays here, if those types of ideals and belief systems are prominent in the home, then yes, that stigma continues to persist. I think that stigma is being challenged and that the value of mental health services are being more normalized through our schools. If we can provide mental health-based education and social-emotional learning and wellness centers in our schools, then that sends the message that, hey, this is something that is just as important as your child's everyday academic education. A lot of people would lay at the foot of the pandemic the mental health system issues and the mental health issues that youth are having right now. What are your thoughts on that? Which came first, the pandemic or the the crisis, the brokenness? That's a wonderful question because I, I think it's so important to keep in mind Mental health concerns were definitely there before COVID-19, just like concerns for racism and issues of oppression and marginalization. These concerns were there prior to COVID-19. COVID-19 exacerbated those concerns and really pushed those concerns to the forefront. What could be considered is that the need for mental health services, especially among children, became this silent pandemic in a sense, but definitely a very loud concern for those who work with children on a daily basis as a result of COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to COVID-19, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it's said to be one in five children had a mental health disorder. So only about 20% of those children received care from a mental health provider. In 2020, about a thousand parents around the country completed a survey facilitated at the Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. 71% of parents said the pandemic had taken a toll on their child's mental health. And 69% said the pandemic was the worst thing to have happened to their child. So you can only imagine how the need was amplified. The need for mental health services and access to mental health services were amplified. It felt like overnight that weekend where the world kind of shut down in March. That Friday, we essentially closed up shop of providing services in person and quickly pivoted to telehealth services. And telemedicine has probably helped in your field tremendously since it has become the forefront for treatment a lot of times in behavioral health since the pandemic. Talk about that. So it definitely allowed access for many children and families, but we also remained aware of the fact that we have a lot of kiddos that are living in a rural, underserved environment that don't have the same access to high-speed internet or families living in inner city who may also not have that 
consistent, strong connection to high-speed internet. There was access, but then again, additional barriers to attaining that access. Let's talk a little bit about any differences you see statistically and in the evidence with regard to Black and brown youth, LGBTQ youth, and their mental health. Are there differences there? What do the stats show? Yes, yes, yes. So in a survey also conducted by the CDC, Center for Disease Control, in 2021, they examined high school students. Over a third, so about 36% of those students said they experienced racism before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. The highest levels were reported among Asian students at a rate of about 64%, and Black students and students of multiple races, both at 55%. We definitely see increased forms of stressors for youth based on race and ethnicity. In addition, youth of the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community reported greater levels of poor mental health, emotional abuse by a parent or caregiver and having attempted suicide more often than their counterparts. That speaks to specific populations. We also recognize specific increases in clinical presentations. So increased concerns in eating disorders, risky behaviors, as well as suicidal and self-injurious behaviors. And these are, again... Pandemic-related, but not pandemic-exclusive, what's the long-term when these youth and children who went through the pandemic, who experienced mental health issues, what's the long-term ripple effect across the lifetime when they become adults? That is the word for sure, Carol. It's a ripple effect. I don't think we are anywhere close to really recognizing the significant impact that this pandemic has had on the overall well-being of our kiddos. If you think about it, many of our children and youth have missed about a year to a year and a half or two years of education. If you're thinking about that occurring in the early educational or elementary age time of development, that's significant. That is hugely significant. Not only were there these gaps in education or limited access to care, but then there may have been much more exposure to stress and trauma. I think we will be in this work and really looking at the long-term impact on our children for years to come. And when you're talking about the pandemic stress impact, issues of violence in the home, issues of not having enough food, issues of not being able to go anywhere, maybe not having the support services because they're simply not in school. Huge impact on mental health in our youth, and it's going to last a generation. And that generation, they have a generation to raise. So it will be so interesting. I think that's why we have to remain Focus and intentional on doing as much as we can in a universal form of providing care and preventative care. Is the system in place or is it about to be in place with regard to mental health services for children and youth and young adults? I think that professionals and local constituents alike, we all have a responsibility of advocating and 
speaking to the importance of ensuring that our system is well informed and has the resources to provide the long-term needs that our children and families are presenting with. That is a multi-tiered level form of care. So that could be school-based services, community-based services, summer resources, looking at programs specifically geared towards supporting and changing the life trajectory of our at-risk youth. Are we there? I would not say that we're there. We're definitely in a good position. There's definitely been a lot of policy that is being reviewed to support mental health services or education, particularly in the schools. Danica, talk a little bit about the number of behavioral health clinicians that are available right now. Is there a shortage? What's happening with that? Yes. So even prior to the pandemic, there has been a national shortage of psychiatrists and even more specifically child psychiatrists. That existing shortage contributes to the limited access that young people have to behavioral health professionals. This is speaking to the shortage in that profession, as well as providers that may be of diverse racial or ethnic identity. So about 47% of all psychiatrists in Delaware are non-white compared to 12% of mental health specialists. So that could include therapists, licensed clinical social workers. But there are no Hispanic psychiatrists reported from across Delaware. And these data were taken in 2019. The survey was published for the Division of Public Health Bureau of Health and Planning by the University of Delaware, Dr. Tabor Toth. Only about 2% of mental health specialists report their ethnicity as Hispanic. We know that in Delaware, we have a growing Hispanic Latinx population that we need to ensure culturally bilingual services are available to them. I thought this statistic was quite astounding. Approximately 52% of psychiatrists indicate seeing pediatric patients compared with 71% of mental health specialists serving children. What does that mean? What's the impact? For our kiddos who may need specific medication management or medications that are specific to addressing mental health, there is an extensive weight that a lot of our kiddos have in being able to access that level of treatment. The state of Delaware has developed a program that is state-funded that provides consultative services from psychiatrists to family medicine doctors. Instead of a child having to wait to see a um, pediatric psychologist, they can perhaps have that care provided by their pediatrician who is then consulting with a psychiatrist. Now, you've used a term a couple of times, and I think it's a term that's close to your heart these days, school-based. You are the Behavioral Health Program Director of the School-Based Wellness Centers of Colonial School District in uh, Delaware, the elementary schools. Define what a school-based health care facility is, because I'm not sure a lot of people know what that is. So a school-based wellness center typically involves a combination or collaboration, if you will, of physical health services and behavioral health services. So within our Colonial School District elementary schools, 
those physical health services are provided by our licensed nurse practitioners and behavioral health services are being provided by licensed behavioral health clinicians and licensed social workers. In many ways, it models what integrated primary care would look like or primary care family medicine practice where you have the opportunity to care for your physical health, but there's also an individual who's available to offer social, psychosocial support. School-based health centers sound like the ultimate in terms of going well beyond medicine. Do you have that same sense? Yes, it definitely represents what I think that vision of wellness beyond medicine is designed to encompass and that it provides care in a setting where children spend the majority of their lives, their day, and in essence reduces barriers to care. It reduces loss of instruction because the services are more readily accessible. So yes, it's medicine beyond the typical walls of a healthcare facility where a family might otherwise have to catch a bus or rely on state-funded transportation to make it to a medical appointment, which for some families could take an entire day. And that's time off of work for a lot of people. Yeah. Lost wages, increased stress. It just becomes a cyclical pattern food insecurity, and concerns for homelessness. Those are the social determinants, rather, that we're trying to reduce and address improved access to care. Is it open to all kids? In order to access the wellness center services, a parent does have to enroll the child. And enrollment involves completion of our enrollment packet. And in doing so, the child can then receive physical health, behavioral health services, whatever form of care the parent is seeking. Physical health services may include physicals, vaccinations, other forms of care that can be uh, serviced within the school setting. And then behavioral health services may include individual therapy, group therapy, consultative services to school staff, and professional development support as well. So parents sign up kind of like they're signing up with a new doctor. It's a new healthcare provider. It just so happens it's in the school. It's in the school. And we are, in essence, a new provider. I would probably say an additional provider because our hope is not to replace. And we recognize that there are some physical health services that cannot be provided through the wellness center. And we would not want to pull that patient away from their established primary care provider. But we can serve the role of improving continuity of care because some of our kiddos have gone without physical as well visits for about one and a half, two years. We're also reaching out to these primary care practices and letting them know, hey, your patient has connected with the wellness center. And so we want to see if there's anything that we could do to kind of help support their consistent engagement in care. Without going into specifics because of HIPAA and privacy, Is there a patient or maybe a personal story that you could share that kind of stays with you and inspires you as you go about your daily work, which is not easy work? Who continues to inspire you? The kids. It's as simple as that. It's as simple and as meaningful as that. I am not used to this everyday occurrence. 
One, I get to stand in the hallway at the beginning of the school day when kiddos are coming in off of the bus or hopping out of a car and walking into the building. And I get to see their faces, you know, at the first thing in the morning. And you can sometimes read what some of these kiddos may have experienced or endured the night before, or even in that journey to school. And then out of nowhere, you feel like this little tug at your waist or somebody wrapping their arm around you. And it's like, wait, what is that? And it's a little one reaching for a hug. I've not had those experiences in primary care. I have only been here since the end of March. And to think that an impact has already been made that quickly has been mind-blowing to me every time. I can see the value that the students have for this level of support and individualized care. It is almost kind of immediate. That is what throws my legs out of bed every morning. I look forward to coming in. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like a blessing. It feels like I'm being filled and I'm being blessed to be able to fill someone else's bucket, as they would call it. I just would like to encourage parents, aunts, uncles, anyone that touches the life of a child to know that mental health is health. If a child hurt or injured their knee, we would likely get them seen at the ED. If there was an injury or physical illness that they were battling, we would want them to have access to care right away. Mental health requires that same level of attention and urgency. With the awareness that there are growing needs and limited access, ask about available supportive resources at your child's school. Ask your pediatrician about available services or recommendations they might have in getting you connected to a behavioral health provider. Get a sense of what the concerns are that your child is facing. Be able to identify and label those concerns so that when you meet with that provider, you'll be able to have a sense of what you hope to get out of treatment. Behavioral health providers, pediatric psychologists can support many different concerns, not just concerns for anxiety, depression, substance abuse, things like that, but also adjustment concerns, identity challenges, adjustment to chronic health conditions, grief and loss, which is a major concern that our kiddos are going through, developmental concerns. We can support little ones even before the age of one. It doesn't mean that something is wrong necessarily if you're seeking out mental health support for your child or even yourself. It means that you're doing the right thing and you're taking care of yourself. I just would like everyone to know that seeking mental health support is the right thing to do. We owe it to ourselves. And as with any disorder or illness, the earlier the intervention, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being able to provide and even being why elementary-based wellness is so valuable because we're starting at an earlier age. And there are so many evidence-based treatment models that exist in other states that would be ideal to offer in the state of Delaware as early as when that or even before that child is born, being able to provide that support to the parent. So please, 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 please 
make contact with your local senators, advocate, vote. Please vote at your school referendums or when there are changes in the school board. I encourage that you please make an active presence because that also impacts the level of education and support that are provided at the local schools. Dr. Danica Perry is a Nemours pediatric psychologist. She serves as the Behavioral Health Program Director of School-Based Wellness Centers in the elementary schools of the Colonial School District in Newcastle, Delaware. Coming this summer, we are doing a series on the cutting-edge precision medicine that's happening here at Nemours. We'll also talk about Juneteenth, its history, and what it means to Nemours Associates. It's your podcast. It's your chance to talk about your stories, the Nemours Associates stories. Email us your ideas at podcast at Nemours.org so we can schedule an interview with you and your team to be on the podcast. Interviews are done remotely and at your convenience. That email again is podcast at Nemours.org. Thanks, as always, to our podcast production team, Peter Adebi, Allison Craft, Deborah Griffin, and Savannah Pettit. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turners Falls, Massachusetts. This podcast is available on Nemours Net, the Nemours Now app, and your favorite podcast app along with your smart speaker. You can also visit all episodes by going to nemours.libsyn.com. On behalf of Dr. Danica Perry, I'm Carol Vassar, and we thank you for listening to this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children and families we serve.